Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Why do some people, you know, really choose to go on holiday to places that are dark sites where lots and lots of people have been murdered or killed you know the the classic dark site is and and the classic notion of dark tourism is one that thinks about and casts the the dark site as the site of of slaughter or or violence or murder or 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 in some cases genocide and people go to them and, and probably go to them for a lot of different reasons And we'll explore those different reasons on today's show with our guest, James Treadwell, who is a professor of criminology at Staffordshire University and the co-author of 50 Dark Destinations, Crime and Contemporary Tourism, some of which may surprise you. For example, Disney World, the Maldives, Dark Destinations. You'll find out what it's all about in this episode. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience at the time of publication. It is Halloween, so I thought what better way to ring it in than to do an episode on dark tourism and we have a much deeper conversation not just around the destinations themselves but what really makes a destination dark why are we as humans attracted to them are we all just deviant tourists which is a term i had not heard until this conversation and this book and so a lot to unpack here today hope you enjoy going deep on dark tourism and i promise we'll crawl out into the light by the end of the interview don't you worry Enjoy the show, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. I'm happy we're here. We got you here. And I should say welcome to you, Professor James Treadwell. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thanks for being here. Thank you ever so much for having me on, Jason. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. Whereabouts in England are you? 
Um, I'm in uh, right in the centre of England. I uh, I live in Birmingham, England's fantastic second city. Although we compete with Manchester very often, people think Manchester's the the second city. Um, but it's it's Birmingham, birthplace of the industrial revolution, the giver of uh, the, my wonderful accent, which I try and not to affect too much because your you, your listeners may know Brummies. We tend to talk like that, and uh, after the, uh, the the success of the popular television program Peaky Blonde. Does. Everybody knows Brummies now, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, I, I try and make sure I don't do the Brummie accent too much. I sadly still cannot recognize the various accents in England and, and the various regions. So, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you guys have a whole different take on it. I mean, you could have been, you could have said anywhere in England, I would have been like, cool. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's the, same for, it's the same for people in the UK when they, they come to the US. I'm sure we cause all sorts of uh, in, in, inadvertent and unintended defense by by not being able to pick up. But similarly, we, we in the UK, as you travel around the UK, there are parts of the UK where I can barely comprehend what people are saying to me. One of my, uh, one of my co-authors uh, on the book, Craig Kelly is from Leeds, and there are times where I struggle to understand him. It's uh, it's part of the kind of rich tapestry of geography, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about the book, 50 Dark Destinations, Crime and Contemporary Tourism today. But I wanted to ask you, I've never spoken with a criminologist before. You're a professor of criminology. This is, I guess, the study of crime in the criminal mind. Why did you get into criminology? Like, How did that kind of evolve for you? Where's the interest? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting one. Um, my background was um, working in prisons and, and and prison settings and prison systems, which, you know, it, it, in some ways it explains the kind of link and the connection in, in the book because, as I'm sure you, your listeners will will know, you know, um, places like uh, Alcatraz, for example, once former prison sites, then kind of get shut down, closed down, and then turned into you know tourist attractions, which is I suppose how the connection comes through there. But yeah, my my background was working. In and, um, and talking to prisoners and offenders, people involved in in crime and, and criminality, and those sorts of aspects uh, of, of kind of understanding why crimes happen, how they happen, and how society reacts to them, is more usually the stuff of, of criminology. But but criminology is this kind of wide ranging, broad subject now that in, encompasses so many different things, and and one aspect I think of uh, trying to make criminology more accessible. To, to the general public and, 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 and to people more generally is to think about how crime might touch on on, on their lives and, and how it might kind of come into to their kind of uh, experiences, which fortunately, frequently, for the most part, isn't through the experience of actual crime. You know, our, our, a lot of our perceptions about crime and criminality, thankfully, don't come from being victims of, uh, of crime or, or having them happen to us. It was initially through sort of criminology that, um, as well, that I'd, I've been really lucky to, to travel all over the world. And um, the, I suppose the book that we're talking about sort of starts with with that point. I'd, um, I've, I've been fantastically lucky in that I've been to uh, I've been to the United States of America, and on the occasions I've, I've been to the US, I've been into places where um, I'd, I've been into prison sites. So uh, Jessup Correctional, for for example, in uh, in the United States, and and um, it, through through going into prisons there, and, and not long before the COVID pandemic struck and, and locked us all in our houses. I was in uh, Australia and New Zealand going into prisons. And then I kind of flew back into the UK, um, just having got back thinking, 
I'd really like to to travel more and to see more of the world. Um, COVID struck it it locked us all in our houses and uh, we suddenly sort of started I, I suddenly, with my co-authors we started to talk about travel um, and that really was the sort of origin of, of us writing a book that's about crime and contemporary travel and trying to use contemporary travel and go into places really as a way of having bigger and broader debates about crime travel the ethics of harm um, and and what the world is like really do you remember where you began to have an interest in in working with prisons? Do you remember the first time, for example, that you walked into a prison? Yeah, I, I absolutely remember the first time that I, I walked into a prison. It was um, it was my local um, prison, HMP Birmingham, which is this austere Victorian building. And I think again, this is the thing with with travel. Um, the the first time you you go into a prison, particularly in in the UK, where they do tend to be this sort of austere Victorian buildings very often built in the centre of cities. HMP Birmingham would be like um, HMP Strange, Manchester or Strangeways Prison, which was the site of the sort of famous riot in the UK. Um, they're, they're very old kind of buildings, but they because they're very old buildings, are very kind of ornate and structured. You'd see the same with wormwood scrubs, you know. Um, they tend to retain a sort of smell, the... the the you know the hearing the noise travels around them in in strange and odd ways the slamming of doors when you first go into them they're quite um, disorientating it's like going to a you know a, a very new place because for most of us you know we, we haven't set foot into those sort of that, that those sorts of places and I suppose there's a a kind of an analogy there that, that it's a bit like being a, a, a tourist is what a tourist does when you go into a you know and you visit somewhere that you're unfamiliar with the unfamiliar heightens the senses you, you know the the sounds the smells are important the feel of the place um and really as uh, you know then quickly those sorts of things fade into the background and we don't think about them but also we make sense of that unfamiliar by what's familiar to us and what we understand you know the joy of going on holiday is very often when we return home at the end of it isn't it and we go back to everything that we know and what we've loved our two weeks away you know we come back and you know i i, I don't know what it would be like in the states you know but but maybe you know i just want to be able to get those genuine you know twinkie bars that i can't get elsewhere or a real can of, you know, my favourite root beer or whatever that I've missed, you know. It's that kind of joy of returning to your own place and, and that understanding of it that frames your understanding of difference as well. Um, but I suppose what I'm doing here is like what academics really I think are supposed to do is we're supposed to think about things and talk about things and try and get others to think about them. And it was kind of through going into prisons and, and initially it was as a, as a criminologist, I started off sort of, you know, thinking about, and I think most of us, my colleague and co-author Adam Lyons would say the same thing, you know, we, we tend to think about, you know, well, what is it that makes people do these bad and dark things? You know, why do people murder? Why do they kill? And then more broadly, we've started to ask questions, I think, about, you know, well, why is it a pe that people are attracted to those who murder and kill? When I was talking about the COVID pandemic, you know, the sort of things that people became very interested in at the time, I, I don't know if you remember, you know, um, the documentaries that are going on, on on Netflix at the time are things like Tiger King, which is this sort of tale of true crime in a way, you know, and it attracts everyone and it becomes a talking point. But why are we attracted to those sorts of stories? Why is it that, you know, crime media pulls people in? Why do some people, you know, 
collect serial killer art or is that a bit strange or weird or different or is there a propensity in lots of us to do that and then a question you know that sort of framed the book in the outset was why do some people you know really choose to go on holiday to places that are dark sites where lots and lots of people have been murdered or killed. You know, the, the classic dark site is, and, and the classic notion of dark tourism is one that thinks about and casts the, the dark site as, you know, um, the site of, of slaughter or, or violence or murder or, or, or in some cases, genocide. And people go to them and, and probably go to them for a lot of different reasons. Now, again, the book really is about, we, we started off, I think, thinking about dark tourism in that very conventional way, in the way that it had been defined by other academics. But I think as you, as, as people, if they read the book and they look at it, what we then start to do is we start to say, but is that what dark tourism really is? Or is there more to it than that? Why is it that some sites are remembered or thought of or associated with dark tourism, but others aren't? Why is it that some places, you know, are considered, and why is it that some people going to some places are considered to be obsessed by the macabre or the, the taboo? And yet other places, you know, different places may have some of that in their history, but we don't think about that as dark tourism. So we started to ask some questions about, well, what is this term dark, what does dark tourism even mean? And I think what the book becomes um, is it becomes more a discussion about the harms that can be there seen or unseen um, that are inherent in all forms of tourism in a way. There are really two theoretical frameworks that underpin the book, which is Gray's theory and deviant leisure. And I was wondering if you could summarize those. I think you mentioned uh, when we're getting into this before we even started chatting, we're like, Although on the surface, it seems like, oh, it's going to be like a travel book, like 50 Dark Destinations. It's more of an academic book, I would say, with a lot of discussion points and things to debate coming out of each each section. But I think it's important and just for all of us to understand and give context to this conversation, these two theoretical frameworks that underpin the book, this Gray's theory and deviant leadership. And if you could explain it like in layman's terms, because I'm trying to get it from the book and I'm just like, it's still a little foggy to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And one of the things that we want to do is I don't speak academic, Professor. (laughs) Yeah, and and academics are terrible because even when we try, and we have tried not to speak academic, we do kind of fall back into it. Um, I think what I would would say in the first instance is one of the things we try and do, I try and do, desperately try and do as an academic, is try and make it it, it, academia for everyone. Because, you know, a lot of the time we do sit in our ivory towers and we pontificate and we use these kind of theoretical terms and they just drive people away. Um. Gray's theory, but essentially, when I was talking about those questions about what is it that attracts people um, to uh, the, the 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 lurid, the macabre, the 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 dark, the criminal, it's about kind of reappraising that and and rethinking people's own kind of uh, complicity in some ways in in consuming crime. Because like I said with the Netflix example, you know, we we're all in some ways kind of consumers of of 
of crime, but we all sort of position it problematically in, in other places. So the most sort of sensationalist forms of, of kind of, uh, of consumption of crime are regarded as the sort of problematic ones. Well, we kind of don't regard ourselves as, as doing this. And, and what Gray's theory particularly does is it looks at the sort of very sensational aspects of um, as, as, of crime as a commodity that, that's sold to people. Um, and where kind of populist um, accounts uh, come to be kind of um, very often sort of framed as as the norm. So as a criminologist more broadly, you know, um, operating in the United Kingdom, you, you know, we, we devote, an, our media devote a huge amount of attention to, for example, murders, homicides, rapes. Um, but actually, you know, the more likelihood of people being victimed in in every victims in everyday life is is much more kind of mundane than the sensationalist but we don't think about things like you know when we're ripped off on ebay or when when the cryptocurrency market collapses oh when the, absolutely <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't think of those things that, yeah we don't think of those things as crime um deviant leisure similarly thinks about what it is that that's that's harmful or 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 bad in sort of uh, in in leisure practices, and and we know that sort of some leisure practices are very tied to. In some cases, some leisure practices are at that criminal in, in and of themselves. You know, so um, kind of going out, urban exploring, and breaking into places and, and trespassing might be criminalised, or you know, there might be sort of forms of, of leisure. Um, I'm sure we'll talk in time about the the dark destinations that are in the book that are in the book. But you know, um, British tourists, um, for example, in the past were, were were infamous when they went away with with football, for example, for exporting football hooliganism a, across the the globe and so on. But then at the same time, one of the things that kind of deviant leisure is doing is it's kind of um, it's trying to regard that as on a, on a con- kind of continuum where everybody, in some ways, is complicit in some of those sorts of harmful practices but very often we don't necessarily recognize our own you know our own contribution to harmful practices or whose expense it it happens at um so it's kind of again i think both perspectives really what they're trying to do is they're trying to kind of reintroduce a, a degree of kind of nuance and complexity into a world that often sees things as very black and white you know, crime is good and bad, you know, and it's them and us. Um, and we often don't kind of stop and consider how much more complex it is in the real world. And, and both of those perspectives, essentially, on a bigger level, are about kind of thinking about how that actually, how often it isn't black and white, and how actually far more people are involved um, and implicated um, than, than necessarily recognise it. Um, and in a way, that's what the book is trying to do because and, – and I think this is the core in trying to explain the book in some ways. If you look at most stuff on, on dark tourism, it starts off by kind of repeating the same destinations over and over again. And we're not going to say – we're not saying that those aren't dark tourist sites, you know, Auschwitz or the, the killing fields of Cambodia – but what the book moves to do, I think, is it, it looks at places, it begins to ask questions and looks at places that traditionally people wouldn't think of as, as being about dark tourism at all. Going to the Maldives for your honeymoon, you know, the, the Atoll Islands or, or going on a skiing holiday, you know, people don't think of those things as in any way, shape or form 
dark tourism, with any kind of connection to crime at all. Um, but what we're saying is, perhaps if we think again, we can see that those things might be built on on harmful practices, that they might be built on forms of exploitation and, and harming other people that might not be overtly obvious in the first instance. But there's more to see here than it being black and white. So we're all criminals, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the danger, the danger here as well is, and I, I was, um, we were doing a book launch on this the other day, and I, and I had to say, you know, I, what I'm not trying to do is um, trying to be this, because I did nothing annoys anybody more than that kind of moralizing tone when someone comes in and goes, you know, it's all your fault, which interestingly, I think is very much a part of the world at the moment. And that often divides up into, black and white views that, that I'm very much against as well. But if we think, for example, about, um, you know, the harms that are done, um, and and Craig, my co-author, tells this wonderful story where he sort of said, you know, um, as soon as lockdown was done, one of the first things he did was he took his his, his kids to uh, the Royal Armouries in Leeds. Now, these basically show all the kind of guns and, and weapons and the, the evolution of firearms. And, you know, and he sort of said, you know, but the thing is, if I'd gone to a museum of death, that would be kind of considered, you know, oh, you're going and get, getting yourself involved in murderabilia and, and so on. But no, if you go into a museum that's full of kind of arms and, and swords and then firearms and so on, and it's this is history, we're not thinking about how that's been, you know, necessarily um, how what the Royal Armouries do is they they deal with the business of death and the export of of killing around the globe, you know, and the, and the history of the the British Empire and and its kind of violent expansion into other sites. Now, we're not trying to do that in a way that kind of says you know that sets this sort of moralising tone in in a way because. Similarly, you know, that sort of exploitation um, that underpins the history of, of the British Empire hasn't gone away, you know. Um, so, for example, um, one of the sites um, in the book that, that we mentioned as a dark destination, Qatar, where they hosted the World Cup, you know, where Qatar is trying to kind of um, re-establish its, its relationship with, you know, being good and ethical for tourism. Well, Qatar as, as, as a country ended its collaboration with the Union Federations on Improving Labour Rights two days after the World Cup final, it's being said today, you know. And what Qatar did to build its World Cup stadiums is it exported in vast amounts of impoverished, almost sort of slave labour from, from other countries so that kind of Western consumers of football could go and be involved in this celebration of football. And hey, isn't it brilliant? And look, you know, what a great event and how good it is for, for all of us. And we forget the fact that, you know, that slavery hasn't really gone away because, you know, there are, there are workers dying, you know, poor workers exported from Bangladesh dying on the construction sites. Um, and, you know, that's kind of cleansed from our view and it's very much done for the, the benefits of, of Western consumers. And, you know, it, it doesn't sort of suggest that slavery is, is over, you know, slavery is far from over, but we often don't think about that when we, you know, when we consume. We kind of think, you know, this is 
said and done, the world is 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 a far better place now. And you know, and we think of slavery as being something that's that's past when it comes to, for example, going to tourist sites and and they educate us on you know the harms that were inherent in history and and it's kind of done and 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 good and and that's it you know whereas in reality there these these things are still there today we'll get back to the interview in just a moment this episode is brought to you by u.s bank recently i went out for tacos and it wasn't even friday yes we have taco friday in norway not taco tuesday well more importantly i could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells introducing the u.s bank altitude go visa signature card earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery including tacos plus you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and ev charging stations you're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite street streaming services go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn twenty thousand bonus points worth two hundred dollars if you spend one thousand dollars in the first 90 days of opening your account win big with the us bank altitude go visa signature card visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply limited time offer the creditor and issuer of this card is u.s bank national association pursuant to a license from visa usa inc some restrictions may apply this episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. So the World Cup example, uh, I guess if we were going to slot something under the theoretical framework of deviant leisure you could say that a world cup viewer would be participating in deviant leisure let's say that would be a that would illustrate that point yeah yeah absolutely or or could be said to because of course like i say you know it it's contested uh, you know and and the realm is is contested so in the uk you know qatar's hosting of the world cup kind of created those it created a fierce division, and I don't know if, if you know um, your listeners in America would would know about this one, but you know David Beckham, who's probably our most kind of prominent footballer ever, celebrity figure around the globe, took money from Qatar to go out and be part of the the kind of image branding of it, and then uh, a very a, a comedian who actually lives around the corner from me, he's quite a famous comedian in the UK, he might not have broken the US yet, called Joe Lysett, who's um, who's gay, made a very big um, protest 
protest about the fact that Beckham had had engaged with Qatar. He uh, th- his protest involved him saying that he was going to shred um, ten thousand pounds of his own money if if Beckham didn't pull out. Ultimately, then he got some pressure for saying that he he kind of fictionally shredded the money. Um, but then, interestingly, it came out that Lysit himself had had travelled to Qatar to put on comedy gigs. So he was kind of criticising Beckham um, for doing what he himself had done. And I think that's a useful analogy for us because that's where deviant leisure tr- and, and, and Gray's theory help us out because traditionally dark tourism has been thought of as something that – that those strange people do. You know, it's a kind of niche activity that obsessive kind of people who want to consume, you know, consume the history of wars or violence go off and, and, and do, and they do it out there, and it's not the likes of us. But actually... Um, what deviant leisure is is kind of encouraging us to do is to think of our own part in that system, and in, in a way that perhaps Lysit wasn't. You know, it's easy to kind of identify the harms that other people are, are, are doing, but we don't necessarily always reflect on how we're connected to the harms. So, you know, climate change, you know, kind of becomes well, those those people who get on flights and, and, and do harms, but we get on flights and, and do that. Now, don't get me wrong, at the same time, I, I do totally get why um, people get very fed up, for example, by lots of multimillionaires who take far more flights than the rest of us, you know, kind of going to Davos and telling us all about the, the harms that are done. But I think that similarly can sometimes come from a similar place where we, we consider, um, we kind of consider other people the the kind of harbingers or, or consumers of bad practice and not ourselves and what the book's trying to do is to say just hey wait a minute guys there might be something more to this than dark tourism being something that those people over there who 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 go to murder sites or or, or genocide things do it might be much more tied to tourism everywhere than we've we've considered before just to kind of reflect back the the intention behind the book is to kind of spark conversation but you mentioned the the sort of the black and white and there's a lot of gray area yet you know i would i would argue perhaps that lumping everything under one term dark tourism is actually erasing the gray area and putting a label on everything but I would like to hear your argument back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I can see, I, I can see that kind of argument. Um, and, and yeah, there is that, there is that problem in that. You know, then how do we begin to understand that some may form up in the kind of more extreme forms of, of kind of consumption of, of what are the conventional dark sites? Um, but then that's where what are the what are the conventional dark sites? I think was for us for us the problem because some places badge themselves for various different reasons as, as more kind of overtly connected with um, harm or, or crime. You know you can't deny harms or crime if you're talking about Auschwitz or the Jack the Ripper tour or the Cray tour in London or even if we're thinking about for example um you know the the backdrop context of of the killing fields of of Cambodia and so on but are people who go to the 9-11 memorial dark tourists 
And I can see your argument for coming back and saying, well, if you begin to erase that label, you know, do you and you put everything together, do do you create problems? But you know, perhaps it's perhaps it is more located in the individual because some people, for example, who go to uh, these these sites like the nine eleven memorial, um, you know, some people will go to them in a very somber way to kind of pay respects, very thoughtful and 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 considered about how they're behaving. Some others will kind of take parts of them as as uh, you know a, a kind of another part of the holiday with selfies and 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 beers on the way and where hey you know and 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 i think again this is where it, it kind of is complex you know you you when you uh, when you think about for example auschwitz which you know is is on the edges of of kind of krakow in in poland you know krakow is the kind of ultimate stag and and hen destination for lots of people in the uk so they go there to kind of go heavy drinking and and have lots of fun and then similarly as part of that visit auschwitz and you get kind of tours of of school children and and stag do's and some of them perhaps don't give the kind of somber reflection that you'd expect at those sorts of of, of sites and, and settings and should we reserve a kind of a, a label for for the concerning practices perhaps you're right perhaps perhaps we should but i think in as we kind of go through the book and we think a bit more about what the these sites are you know, we are asking some useful and, and kind of relevant questions about tourism and travel in the world today. You know, so why is it, for example, that, you know, you can go on a virtual or in-person tour of the Amazon warehouse in, in Rougely, where Amazon wants to show you, you know, their, their staff members smiling and waving at the cameras and, you know, telling you how wonderful the workplace is. And Now that sounds dark. Know, <laughs> well, this is the point, Jason. This is the point. Is that that is pretty dark? Because you know, if, when I watch guys get out of the Amazon van in, you know, like at the end of the shift or whatever, you know, they're, they're not. They don't necessarily look like they're smiling or they're happy. But similarly, you know, if we think about some of the the kind of labour practices, for example, that underpin. Um, the company with the mouse in, in, in located in Florida. Yeah, you Disney know, World you is think- is on your list. I, I, I wanted yeah. to bring that up. Like, like I, that was surprising Absolutely. to see. Like, I get this PDF of the book and I see Disney World. I'm like, what is going on here? But, and and this is and and this is where Grays and 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 I think kind of deviant leisure are, are encouraging us to think a little bit more about you know what, what, how we consume essentially uh, on uh, when we travel um, and how we ask questions and, and how we go beneath the kind of surface of everything's great and wonderful here because you know if we think about all sorts of of tourist destinations and, and places around the world essentially those who are making money out of kind of telling us you know that, that this is an idyllic setting are very often you know doing perhaps huge amounts of harm to, to the people around them. Now, I recognise that there's another side of that, that argument and that some would say, you know, that tourism brings in vital money and it aids kind of development and, and it creates job opportunities and employment and offers people a handout of poverty and so on. But 
I'm sure your listeners will have done it as well, where, you know, you kind of, I, I've, I'm really lucky. I've, I've traveled extensively, so I can't criticize anyone for traveling. And I've fallen into the traps as well of going to places and kind of thinking, oh, isn't it wonderful? You know, the kids were so welcoming to us and they ran up to meet us. And, you know, isn't it great? And everyone was really friendly. And this guy showed us around his like kind of house setting and, and you know, being in the Bedouin camp in the desert or whatever. And isn't it great that they've been... And then you kind of go away um, thinking, you know, I've had this wonderful experience and this was fantastic, but you don't really know what's going on for the people that are being kind of engaged to deliver that to you. They might seem like really, really friendly, but are they kind of struggling under exploitative labor practices where they can't really say no? You know, um, are, are they actually kind of being forced not to kind of form collectives or unions so that they can get a better deal? You know, I, are they really happy about the fact that, you know, um, the local marina where the fishing boats used to go from has now been turned into a playground for the super rich and, and fabulously wealthy while they've been kind of forced from their traditional home into some new site or setting. And do we know that that's whether that's going on or not, you know, because um, it wouldn't be a very good kind of holiday or travel experience if that was put right in our line of sight. But I suppose what we're kind of asking in a way is, you know, is there an ethic to consider those things and, and find them out? Should we should we kind of look again and not necessarily just take the surface level appearance of what's there and, and, and actually ask some sort of more probing questions about what's going on? And I think that's what we're trying to do in the book, you know, um, so that some of those sort of places that you wouldn't necessarily consider, you know, um, as 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 kind of sites of, of exploitation or, or harm that, you know, they might actually be, be a lot that's going on there, a lot of exploitation that's going on there hidden beneath the surface, but you have to look, you know, and, and do we look, do we, are we comfortable with doing that? Well, I think a site like, you know, including Disney world in, in the book, for example, to bring up some of those points you just mentioned and kind of spark the conversation I guess as far as the book goes and some of the destinations you have listed, I, I can see that much more than I can see sort of the arguments you guys constructed around visiting the like Auschwitz, for example, or the 9-11 Memorial or like a former slave plantation, which of course, the presentation, the experience, all of that plays into what quantifies a destination to be dark or just you know, historically important and also educationally important. My thought is that, you know, I remember being a backpacker and being in Germany and wanting to visit Dachau because I had taken classes in college about the rise of Nazism and wanting to understand. And, and, and I think there is something powerful and moving about being in a physical space where something horrific happened. And I think it is an essential role to play to have these these places preserved and and presented educationally, especially in the internet age where you have conspiracy theorists and doubters who are, people say like, this didn't happen. And it's like, well, no, this really happened. Like actually you can go and see where this happened and feel, and, and, and you could never walk in their shoes, but, but how does that not increase sort of the empathy and the connection to a past historical event? And, you know, your conclusion on that, I'll read a snippet of it. There's a full paragraph here, so you can kind of respond. But 
it, it said the Holocaust tourism sites as dark sites of death are also sites of consumerism and leisure acting as spatial crypts haunted by the ghosts of past violence. Death, specifically the death of the other, has been commodified, packaged up, and sold back to us as entertainment, leisure, and tourism under the guise of educational and historical preservation, where the tourist may have a vital role to play as a tertiary witness. Again, this is just me. I, I don't feel it's under the guise of educational and historical preservation. I feel that that is the full intention behind these sites. Now, I'm, I'm just speaking to one site that I've been to specifically, but going to like the Holocaust Museum in, in DC or something like that and seeing a big pile of shoes from people that were, were part of this genocide, I mean, it, it just brings it all to life. How does that not help people, you know, say, hey, look, this happened. Let's make sure this never happens again. Let's keep this history alive. Oh sure, and 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 it's just and that is but one site as well because like I've I've been to Srebrenica where there's a, a far more recent genocide of of Muslim men in the Yugoslavia war where you can still meet the the mothers of of the missing out, outside they still hold vigil you know um so we're we're not necessarily saying that 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 these sites are, are, are not educational or are not valued or there's not a value in, in doing that. I think it's it's questionable that everybody necessarily who turns up at the, those sites goes from that sort of motive of wanting to be educated in that preventative way. There was, um, the other day we did a book launch and um, the, the person who was with us to launch our book, a journalist in the UK, a friend of mine, uh, Donald McIntyre, he made a, a film about a group of football hooligans um, in, in the UK. Those football hooligans visited Auschwitz, not to uh, not to commemorate or take seriously the site, but um, but to to mock it, um, and it's one of the it's a really really horrific thing to see, you know. But uh, bear in mind that you what, although the intention can be there to educate, how that is used by others is is beyond the control even of the best intended custodians and guardians and I, I, t- I totally agree with you in that there are sites out there that are sort of there are sort of historical preservation and 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 a really important educationally and should make us sort of think I'm not necessarily sure that that's always the 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 reaction from people as well and and the way that the problem with consumerism is is once something is there to be consumed the way people consume it can vary and and change and, and alter as it were but similarly with that kind of dark tourism I'm not necessarily sure that the value is always in what you were describing um it's not always about pulling people in for that kind of teaching them the the historical legacy of, of the killing fields or or, or Auschwitz or you know that it can also be that you know the very sort of sensationalist um, and, and extreme can become badged up as a sort of site of consumption so one of the places that I, I went to um, not long before um, we uh, we did the book when we were in uh, we were down in uh, St. Louis and, and Sorry, Louisiana. Um, we went. Adam and I went to a museum of of kind of murder, and and this was very much kind of uh, badged up in a way that was kind of it. It wasn't about you know remembering the victims at all. The victims kind of became meaningless. It became the most kind of extreme sort of. We are going to shock you with real images of death and destruction and and so on. And similarly, the the Holocaust and kind of crimes against humanity featured there and and I, I again I didn't necessarily get the feeling that the the full intention was was as a kind of educational vehicle and uh, you know and I, I think that's the that's the complexity you know when it comes to 
the the traditional kind of understanding of dark, dark tourism is kind of very limited in a way it, it, it's very thought out of this, this kind of you know it, it, it's narrowly these are the sites um but even there there's a kind of consumerist imperative where people are for example um one of our competitor books you know rates them with darkness ratings is this one five stars or four stars or three stars you know what makes something more or, or less dark and there is always that kind of element of kind of pulling people in but on what you were saying about that kind of the importance of, of going and thinking and considering, I think that's that's something that we'd always want to kind of be promoting and, and thinking about. Because what we're saying in those sites that aren't necessarily considered dark, but but also might be, you know, if we are thinking about the stadia that have been built in Qatar, you know, Think about the harms that, that are still done, that are still kind of going on. And think about what's shown and what's not shown and what the motives for it are, more than just kind of accepting what people are telling you as, as the motives for, for it. You know, Amazon might not, you know, kind of... Amazon might not be telling you the full truth on their their warehouse tours. While prison tours, for example, you can go to Shrewsbury Prison... Um, in the UK now, um, it's a closed Her Majesty's prison. You can, you know, you can put on orange jumpsuits. You can you can spend the day as a prisoner. You can talk to prison officers who are going to kind of tell you the stories of of the past. Is that done really in an educational way? Are they telling you the full stories? Are they t- or are they telling you the kind of most shocking or sensationalist details? Are they cleansing bits of those stories as well? Are they taking out the state brutality that guards used to do? To prisoners, are they not talking about you know the suicides and and the mental health problems and the appalling abhorrent conditions where you get rats and cockroaches and the cells are cold in the winter, or are they simply you know are they simply doing it as entertainment? So again, in all of it, the, the book really is more a provocation than a, a kind of this is the answer. Um, I, I, as as you say, I, I've I've backpacked, travelled, had the opportunity to go to sites that I found kind of profoundly moving, upsetting, um, and and really kind of useful in in, in terms of that educational sort of formula formulation of a, a recognition of the harms that we can fall into. Srebrenica and, and Sarajevo, where you can walk over the roses on the street, which are where mortar shells landed and killed people, you know. I think it's really important that you go there. And I totally agree with your kind of experiential you know, it you have to be there to really understand it for me as well. Um, but I think it's it's important that we we don't then just suspend that um, when we we go into other places, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, breaking it down into if you're looking at just the two sides of the coin, you have the presentation, I guess, on the on the destination of the physical place, or I mean, maybe it's not always a physical place, and like a Jack the Ripper tour, you're going to multiple locations. Let's say. I should say, then you have the visitor side, right? And, and what is the intention of the visitor and, and what, is the, what is the lens through which the visitor is taking in that destination? What is their motivation, their intention behind the visit and, and, and all of that? And well, then there's the consumerism side of some of these places, right? Which is may, maybe some of these are nonprofits and the money goes in one place and, and in other cases, perhaps they're privately owned. And how does that sort of influence the experience and, and cause people to present it? So I guess, did you go to all the destinations in the book or 
I, I haven't been to all of them because the book's written by a number. We've got a number of different people to write them, but the people. So it, I, I, I haven't, and indeed, there's a number of places on there that are on my kind of. Uh, now we're unlocked down, and I can travel the world again. There are places that that are on my must travel to list. Um, I am I am relatively fortunate in that I've been to I've been to a, a, an awful lot of of the places that that are listed in the book, um, and the, indeed I've I've been to places that that aren't in the book as well. That I think really potentially could have been um, sites where they, those sorts of discussions could be framed up, and and, and where again, you know, um, we could think about the kind of uh, the the practices. One of the one of the places um, I, I, that didn't appear in the book, for example, that I've been to, um, and and I think it's again, it's fascinating to think of in this way. Is um, I, I've been to Cape Verde, which is a, a kind of island used to be uh, Portuguese controlled. Um, off the coast of Africa that was very much used as a kind of transportation route in the slave trade, one of the first kind of main stopping ports in the in the slave trade um, and and Cape Verde is is fascinating because you kind of fly into the the, the very kind of underdeveloped airport in some ways and then you take into luxury five star hotels that exist in in essentially two resorts that exist on the island and these are all kind of luxury all inclusive five star hotels so you don't ex- you don't really interact with the civilian population at all and indeed there's pretty much nothing on the island for the civilian population other than working in the five-star hotels but if you were to kind of move out and look at what is there for for the people you know they're kind of living in tin roofed shacks in in you know in in what is it essentially very often um kind of grinding poverty a, a number of them and and it, this again, um, there's no kind of real. There's very little investment in telling the story of of the site as a route of development for the slave trade, for example. Um, instead, it's simply kind of Westerners come here and 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 enjoy the beaches and and the opulent luxury, you know. Which again, it's those sorts of things I think sometimes that kind of challenge. Our notion that, and I'm thinking about where the harms are done because, you know, I, while you're on holiday, sunning yourself in this, you know, in this paradise, you're not necessarily thinking about the fact that, you know, all of all of what is being built or being developed is being on on the island is being built and developed largely for for rich privileged kind of Western consumers and not for for the people there. Um, you know, does that make that a, a dark site? Well, it doesn't make it a dark site in the way that kind of traditionally we consider the kind of uh, the, the London Jack, the Ripper tours, or but perhaps there is a darkness to it. Perhaps perhaps we should think about that. Um, and, I, and I guess that's that's what we're kind of we're kind of trying to say, but not trying to say it in a, in a way that's kind of moralising or don't go there, people. But but also, you know, could lead to us asking questions about how ethically we can develop a a sort of form of tourism that would allow people to tell the past and 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 also, you know, to 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 develop things in in, in perhaps a, a a different way as well, bringing on board the the population that live there and and letting them see perhaps more of the benefits of of having you know, rich Westerners arrive there, um, which I have to say, you know, I'm guilty of not thinking about those things while I was lying, sunning myself on the beach or, you know, um, going in the pool, you know, um, 
so again, it's. I think, like I say, the, the book was more a provocation in some ways than it is. It, it, it doesn't want to be kind of. Uh, it doesn't want to be a kind of moralizing. You must do this, and you must think about this. It, it wants to kind of provocatively prod at us to think about our practices when we go on holiday and how you know perhaps some of that might be to erase some of the the harms that that we do ourselves. Because, hey, no one wants to be on holiday thinking about the dark side, do they? We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I would like to hear your specific advice for, let's call it, let's call it a, um, not a destination as in a city like you just described where you're going to a place and there's a lot of societal and local community issues maybe that, that people are grappling with in that local community with tourism, where tourism meets sort of poverty and, 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 and that. But let's talk about, let's say that we'll use a hypothetical, you know, plantation or some site, some site where terrible things happened and you have a history to draw from. You have uh, stories that you have access to it's not the matrix. You can't just like plug it into somebody's brain and they can just download everything and experience it. You have to construct a narrative, right? You have to curate the stories and present them in a certain way and, and do it in, in a way. And that creates the experience. And therefore that, that is going to be, let's call it the, uh, the experience. Like if there's a right way to do that. And I think there is, you know, I mean, of course, you know, there are many nuances to, to that process and every, site has had to go through that process. They have to figure out what plaques to put up and what stories to tell and how to sort of frame things and, and uh, tell the stories in, in the right way. How do people do that? How do, how do destinations do that? And does that get them off the dark destinations list in your opinion? <laughs> like, and you've mentioned this several times, the 
it's meant to sort of create conversation and there's it's academic in the sense that there are arguments constructed around each of these sites and sort of conclusions that, that are come to and everything like that. In the end, ultimately, it sounds like what I'm hearing, at least, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's it's meant to spark discussion on on what constitutes, let's say, a dark destination, some of the things that, that should be considered and maybe notated and observed. But if it's a problem that needs to be corrected, how do you do that? Yeah, that's a, that, great question. A really great question. I think you know um, we're not for one minute suggesting people shouldn't do do tourism or that people shouldn't kind of remember. A, a, historical aspects of the past i think you you were rightly pointing it out you know similarly you can't necessarily um you can't foresee how people will will it, it will how all people will engage with sites and but i think you can perhaps be uh, you, you can be more considered in in some about how they they made and and you can have an expectation around most people there will always be some that could perhaps turn up and, and, and don't act in the way that you want them to. I think when it comes to those kind of traditional dark sites, as you were saying, you know, um, there's a, there is a real value and, and it is about the kind of educational um, aspect of, uh, of of what the purpose is. And, and it's about kind of trying to remember the harms historically done very often in dark sites. Um, you know, that, that particularly the, the traditional places of, of, of either murder or, or genocide, crimes against humanity and, and, and so on. That's very much the kind of standard that's driving them. And I think that's that's absolutely right. Um, of course, the, the problem, um, I, I think there is more of a problem with this kind of more sensationalist kind of pushing of a, a kind of agenda of, of of consume this because of darkness and, it, and indeed some of the kind of promotion of dark destinations as we were saying earlier even gets into that sort of standard of you know come here because it, it it was it was awful now if you get people in perhaps you can kind of, of humanize and you can change that view a, a little bit because the kind of historical act of of kind of remembering is is far more than it, it oh, for me it should be far more than just a kind of celebration and 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 so on um i think what at the what's at the center of of it as well though and i think this is this is really kind of important is the purpose of that education and what it's for and is it is it useful and, and progressive? And I think in in his his chapter on uh, Whitney Plantation, Tom Tom Raymond gets towards some of that because obviously that's a site that's kind of a, a classic site. Thinking about you know um, the the kind of historical legacy of, of transatlantic slavery and the evils and the harms that were done as part of it, and we should remember and we should very much tell those emotional, impacting, affecting human stories to to educate as part of that. But I think the, the thing is, it, it's not only part of that, but it's also that value of of also reminding us that this isn't mission accomplished. You know, if you think about what's going on in the world today, um, Uyghur people in in China are, are still kind of being forced into camps and 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 forms of of slavery. You know, the the phones that we take our uh, mobile selfies on while we're at at sites, um, uh, you know, may well contain um, the materials, the metals that have been mined by children in in exploitative conditions in Africa, in the Congo. You know, now if we understand those things, I think as as privileged consumers in the West, we can not only remember the importance of that history, but we can apply a social 
pressure as well to to do better. It might not be that we can find a perfect form of of non-exploitative tourism. You know, there might always be an aspect of of exploitation, but we can at least kind of try and make for a better, more ethical, um, more considered tourism. And I think that's where we would come from. You know, we, we might not be able to kind of make for the perfect world. And there might always be an attraction of, of people into the kind of darkness and, and the darker places. But some of those places that are presented as unproblematic, where there are no problems at all, have very deep problems that might not be shown to you. And you need to ask some questions. And you know, some of those places that are set up as kind of historical legacy sites where it's about kind of learning lessons of the past. The importance is also to remember that those lessons of the past have never been fully learned and, and continue to have an impact in the world today, you know. Um, interestingly, and it, I think it's a, it, it's a great point to consider, um, I've got a, a good friend who's um, been in parts of uh, of the Middle East, um, which at the moment you wouldn't be safe to travel to. And he said to me, you know, um, look, the thing that gets me is I bet you in 10 or 15 years time, these will be places, you know, that, that people come to. They're places where I've gone and, and seen death and dying. And these will be places that people come to because it's sunny and and, and tropical and they'll be kind of thriving places and, and all of that will be forgotten. And I guess what we're trying to just say is, you know, don't necessarily forget that because the kind of imperative to see the harms as continuing might drive might drive us to be better consumers as and tourists you know um if we if we are if we do see the world as as kind of more complex and, and less black and white and less kind of issue solved and done perhaps we might be able to kind of engender a better more ethical travel and tourism generally the best question a, a historical site could ask, right, is what serves the victims in the best way possible. And, you know, I mean, even if you present the stories with the answer to that question and, and what you believe is the most perfect way, you still can't control the way a visitor will filter information or, you know, they bring in their existing perspectives and, and sort of values and ideas and things like that, uh, of course. So you can only you can only do so much. But I mean, it's a fascinating question. And I think, you know, it's not that I mean, I've been to some of these dark sites and I mean, I've been to Disney World. <laughs> I've been to, uh, you know, I mean, I think about like Alcatraz when I was at Alcatraz. I mean, it was a long time ago, but sure, being there and, and you kind of soak up what, what must have been like to be a prisoner here and you're reading about, you know, Al Capone and, and Al Capone. all the people that have been there and <laughs> how, how do you escape from here and all this stuff. And, and you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of be there and just, and it's a beautiful setting you know i mean when you look outside at the views and everything and you imagine oh what it must have been like to like look out at this the beauty around you and, and be stuck here and of course you, you put yourself there in, in a way but also it, it was just an enjoyable day to go out and just to, just to learn and i mean does that make me a bad person you know be I me mean, like like i guess my point is i don't know if necessarily visiting these places and you know being thoughtful i mean i, I don't necessarily feel like well, okay, you can be thoughtful and you can take it in and, and empathize and, and have the experience. But should you feel shame if you weren't crying in the corner, you know, because you 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 went to Alcatraz and and you didn't take on the the weight of uh, of the the prisoner the hardships of the prisoners that were there over the years? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and and this again is where things are contested as well, because you know, like I said, this the, the, very often, you know, there, there isn't a, a, a black and white. It, it, you know, there, there are on on some of you know the, the traditional dark sites. You know, I'm not going to suggest that the Killing Fields or or Auschwitz aren't very much about you know black and white, it, but and the, the the huge harms done. But as I said, I, we don't want to kind of stand there, kind of um, sanctimoniously lecturing people that you must. Be- Behaving, but but I, I think your point about the the victims is a very very good one. Um, but but the 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 way I'd come back in that is that some places don't some places that present themselves as as kind of uh, wonderful and undark don't want you to see the victims. So you have to ask who the victims are, and 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 that's where we're trying to come from uh, in some ways you know sometimes there will be sometimes there will be victims that that, that go un, unseen and and these places might not be presenting themselves in in any way shape or form as as dark but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't victims found there some may be more obvious you know um but but in terms of that presentation of those those traditional dark sites i i, I do think i i would totally agree with you it's one of the reasons i, I mentioned um Sebrenica, you know you can't escape the fact that, that Srebrenica um, still has um, the, the the mothers and, and wives of, of men who were massacred um, at the site, sort of staffing it, and that's part of the that, that's part of the kind of the real kind of impact of, of this isn't this isn't way back historical knowledge. You know, the, the, this is somewhere that people in Europe quite often people from the UK fly over on their way to kind of European holiday destinations. And we kind of think of genocide, you know, we're, we're much happier to kind of think of genocide as something that was done historically, you know, through blankets covered in smallpox or, or by the Nazis. But this is something that's still kind of going on in, in the world today. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that connection, for example, that Srebrenica allows you to see you know why that's it that's important in a way that perhaps um when things do become older sites of kind of history they can be kind of distanced from us in that kind of psychological i was going to mention the connection because it seems like you have less connect you know you think of a again going back to the jack the ripper thing like everybody knows that name why is why should that that should not be right like you know there's probably not one person listening that could name a jack the ripper victim without googling it because you have less connection with the victims over time and more with the known name of the killer, which is pretty sad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And indeed, some of the kind of, um, it, it's an interesting one too, when we think about even the more his, more recent um, I- examples where, for example, we've seen, um, uh, you know, in, in Britain, um, the, the, the house site that Fred and Rose West lived in, in, in Gloucester 25 Cromwell Street, was kind of knocked down so it didn't become a, a shrine for, for kind of visitors to, to, to flock to. But again, you know, um, th- those names, the, the names of Fred and Rose West as serial killers, you know, or, or Dharma become much more kind of apparent than, than the victims. And, and very often in some of the um, really kind of obvious... Um, yeah, but did we really need uh, a uh, fictional series on Dahmer? Come on. Like, is that something that people need to be spending money on and consuming? That that pissed me off. 
Well, I, I, and again, that's where I think kind of Gray's theory kind of comes in, in a way. You know, why are we consuming the, the, some of these more kind of sensational crimes, you know, in the way that we are? I think you're right. Again, you know, there's very little actual appreciation of, of, of the victims there. If people are kind of selling dark sites as, you know, come on in because we're going to shock, scare and terrify you with this brutal tale, you know, we're, then we're also forgetting that that brutal tale had, had victims left, you know, um, mothers, fathers, children, you know, facing all sorts of relatives, friends, facing all, all sorts of harms done by the evils of someone that's now being kind of set up and, and celebrated. And I, again, you know, I, I, I can, I understand why people kind of react to that in the bad way and, and split it off and project it as, you know, it's very much kind of them and us. So when you were, when you were originally sort of saying, you know, um, well, we should have dark tourism to kind of understand those who who do that. I, I get it. Um, I mean, similarly, and it's a a, a great one. Um, I upset my dad totally because one of the things that, um, that's in the book is, uh, and again, I didn't write it, is ski destinations. And he'd just come back from a skiing holiday, and uh, we've got a celebrity in the UK, Jeremy Clarkson. Your 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 listeners may be familiar with him through like the Amazon Prime Clarkson's Farm, if they can get that. But he's he's quite a divisive character anyway, and he wrote an newspaper article um saying you know if you want to protect and save the environment cancel your next skiing holiday and i sent that to my dad over whatsapp sort of saying you know you skier it's in the book as well you know you you, you're destroying the environment for my children as a joke because it was an entire joke um but he actually did kind of i think this is where you can't read social media sometimes with people's intent and he did kind of come back going jeremy clarkson lecturing me with all his cars and cows making methane i'm not taking lectures from him but of course the thing is as well you know it is also that thing of you know my 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 dad would be someone who's very much kind of like you know i want to do something about the the environment he's a kind of older um artsy kind of you know progressive um but he wouldn't necessarily see his skiing holidays as contributing to the kind of uh, the harms that he's also trying to undo and and it and sometimes we do kind of react when we're kind of touched with that well you know but we are pulled in as well um and and i suppose when you were asking me about being a criminologist you know um we can think about those kind of attractions to the dark side that other people have you know it's what those people over there do but there's always been something in, in in me as well that you know I want to kind of yeah. But what is going on? What is making that person tick? Why did he do that? Well, that's part and of I the think, fascination, right? It's uh, everybody has sort of like their shadow self, maybe or yeah. Absolutely, and and he's very very human, and and similarly, I think it's very human to want to understand the kind of extremes, the 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 harms, the the crimes. You know, when we can kind of all go, you know, well, look at those terrible people who slow down and look at accidents and 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 on the highway or or the motorway, but we do it too. You know, we often. Yeah, we often do it too. In some ways, maybe some of these places are are. Uh you know, a way to reflect on some of that. And, and, and the fascination is less a fascination of a, it's not like admiration. It's more like trying to understand the human condition. And, you know, you could think, I mean, you could say, okay, well, what if somebody came in and did X, Y, or Z to your kids? You think you would never do X, Y, or Z crime, but you just don't know because we're all human. 
that's a weird, dark thing to, to think about. But I mean, that, that, that would be like, I'd use that example with my kids because that, that would be the thing that would like, I wouldn't say that would, would make me snap, but it's like the thing that could have the potential to make somebody snap, right? Like somebody trying to kidnap your kids or something like, you know, it's just like a uh, terrible, terrible thought. As a destination, you know, one of the one of the places that, um, and like I say, not everywhere is it made it to, to the book. But one one of the places that I've travelled to, and, it, and I do, again, I do mention um, sort of Sarajevo, and it's one of the most beautiful cities. If 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 your listeners ever get the opportunity to to go there, I'm going to give them a, a a boost. But what what I remember about being there a, a good few years ago now is that you know you've got the legacy of 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 the war, and you can go and see. You know, I'm staying in the same hotel that you see on footage in the Museum of Crimes Against Humanity burning and, and being bombed out. But actually, one of the things that really brought it home to me is I went into a bar and I was chatting to the barman who's lovely guy who said, you know, oh, so, so what have you been up to today? And so I said, I've been to the Museum of Crimes Against Humanity and, and so on. And he said, oh, you, about the war, I, you know, I, I remember it well. It was the, the, the kind of maddest time. And this guy about my age, he says, you know, one day I wake up and people are, you know, my friends. And the next day we're trying to kill each other. And, wow, and that, that's, think about things that go on in the world where, where war, war comes to somebody's doorstep. What wasn't, expected and and they're being invaded and you know one minute you're living your life and the next minute you're you're in the trenches i mean you just it's a crazy absolutely and and we'll um and in a few years' time, you know, um, Odessa used to be a, a, the port city destination people would fly to. They'd go in Kiev, and, and will will we be seeing the same things there as well? You know, or forgetting them? Um, and uh, you know, because it, like like say again, we can kind of think of these things as as done and, and closed and, and passed, but very often they they do sort of strangely come back. You know, um, can I ask you? Are you for or against the death penalty? Um, I'm, I'm not like most criminologists in, and I, um, personally I'm, I'm against, but, but for, for one reason more than any other. And, and that's just the kind of finality of the irreversibility of it. Um, I, I have, I can see, um, that the arguments around it are, are often, um, not quite so black and white again as some people necessarily think, and I'm not talking about the vengeance. The other thing I don't like about the death penalty, given that I used to work in and came from a background of, of working in, in prisons and so on, um, is that I think it would make the job, in the, particularly in the United Kingdom where we don't have the death penalty, of uh, police and, and prison officers sort of far harder. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I, there are times where... I, I kind of uh, I, I look at people whose reaction to kind of the what they regard as the populism of, of our former Home Secretary Pretty Patel in, in supporting the death penalty as being something absolutely awful and out there. One of the things I, I do think is if you were to ask the British public tomorrow if in a referendum on whether they'd reintroduce the death penalty is that the majority probably would vote for. And I think to kind of to to make it a sort of simple well there's a right or wrong about it is is really complex there are there are times where i think um you know i i can well understand the 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 rationale and the 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 reasons that that people would want to execute some individuals not all um but but certainly some you mentioned Dharma earlier on. You know, ultimately he was murdered in in prison. Spoiler, you know, but uh, but at the same time, you know, there's there's not much that can redeem a, a 
character like him. Um, and, you know, similarly, I, I remember reading an article by a, a criminologist that kind of lamented the execution of, of Saddam Hussein. And, and he's not a man I can feel very sorry for with what he did to the Kurdish population. You know, I'm not going to suggest I cried any tears when uh, when the Iraqi government executed him. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a complex one, I think. Um, but but for the reason of the finality and and the, an error and, and protection of criminal justice stuff, I, I come out against. What is the best way that we as a society can minimize crime and violence? Oh, it's a huge question and it's a great one. Um, but I think all the evidence generally sort of stacks up that, um, that there are a range of things that you can do, but um, kind of investment in, uh, in, in creating a, a, a sort of fair, reasonable and equitable society um, that kind of inspires hope in people is probably the best things that you can do. Educate children well, give them chances for meaningful and engaging employment in the future, um, make them feel valued, um, give them access to decent and good health care, um, give their children the prospect of a brighter future. And I think most people are generally conformist and we as human beings are kind of sociable animals that uh, that have to coexist and, and live together, you know. Um, Unfortunately, at times it seems that you know we kind of go in all the other way, and and we kind of uh, allow a, a tiny percentage of incredibly wealthy individuals now a, a power and an influence that uh, surpasses all others, perhaps. Um, but I think you know, for the most part, I, I I tend to keep this optimism that humans are, are generally good, and and if you kind of create a a good cohesive society for them, they'll they'll generally come together and and won't maim and kill each other the book is 50 dark destinations crime and contemporary tourism i don't know do you have any links you want to share or anything here um no but i'd, I'd love people to buy the book i mean it's got a great cover for one so even if it is a bit too academic for you but, but persist with it it'll look great on your coffee table um and it is written like i say it is written um both as kind of academic text but also one that we're hoping to kind of inspire people to think a little bit and the 50 destinations in it are all worth they're worth traveling to and visiting so if you're interested in travel and, and tourism and getting back into the world again now we can after covid because look you know being locked down in our houses it, it was awful and not being able to fly and so on so we were not saying that people don't travel um yeah, you know, you can use the the fifty as a guide for some places well worth going and and, and seeing and looking at. Um, plan your tours and, and, and your travels, um, but do so thinking about it, like what's what's going on here, um, or just make it sit on your coffee table and look great because it's got a great cover. Um, but yeah, that that's that that's my plug done. Yeah, I I don't know how to end this because it was so much darkness in this conversation. Can we can we end on like your favorite light destination? perhaps <laughs> is is there one in the world please tell me there is <laughs> professor james is there places that, is there places that i'll go to i'll give you goodness three, god actually. i feel um, like i'm crawling out of the I, hole of darkness right now <laughs> absolutely let's crawl out of the hole of darkness number one um 
come to the Midlands in the United Kingdom um, and come to Birmingham as the best city. Um, it's it's be- it's wonderfully diverse. You can have a balti here. Um, there's so much going on in Birmingham that people often go past to go and look at Shakespeare's house in Stratford or Warwick Castle and ye olde England. But but tra- if you travel to if you travel to England, don't just do London. Come and look at, at, at the wonders that you have in the Midlands as well because it's it's very different. It's beautiful. And, and, and it's utterly fantastic. So do a, do a few days, maybe a week around kind of uh, Birmingham, Staffordshire and, and, and the wider, um, because I, I love being there. But for the two travel destinations um, that I'd, I'd, I'd give, um, I, I think um, first off, uh, North Africa, uh, Ch- Tunisia, um has been the site of terrorist attacks and, and shootings, um, Port Alcantawi and, and not so much Seuss, but but North Africa, um, or Tunisia or, or Morocco, Marrakesh, um, great places to visit. Um, but the other the other one for me, um, I suppose, oh yeah, Sarajevo. Go to Sarajevo, east meets west. Absolutely fantastic place, friendly, lovely people. Um, still a bit of darkness there in, in in the background, but if you go to Sarajevo, also go out and and explore, um, explore the world, get out in the world. I'm I'm so lucky. I've I've managed to go travelling all over Europe. I've been to Australia and and New Zealand. I've I've been in the United States. I've managed to travel to to Africa. Travel and going to places is one of the privileges that I think we we really ought to re-embrace after lockdown. Meet people, be sociable again, because those things are great. You know, they, they are. I'm not saying that people don't travel, don't do tourism. It's just when you do it, ask questions. Ask questions. Cool. I will finish on that. Thank you so much for your time and appreciate it. No problem. No worries at all, Jason. Hope it's uh, hope it's useful and good. Take care. Take care. Thank you very much. have it thank you once again to professor james treadwell very interesting topic dark tourism something i hadn't covered on the show before and if you want me to do some other topics that you haven't heard about either at all or for a while you can get in touch jason at zero to travel.com is my email and of course you can sign up for the newsletter over at zero to travel.com slash newsletter which is free and i gotta say along the lines of dark destinations dark tourism i love a good ghost tour have you done a good ghost tour (laughs) always cool to walk around i remember doing one in rhode island once and it was a cool fall night and the wind was blowing talking about ghosts standing outside of old buildings it was fun there you go maybe that's dark destinations light i don't know speaking of light let's get into the light we've been crawling out of the darkness we're going to finish with a quote here this one appropriate for today's show from Eleanor Roosevelt. It is better to light one small candle than to curse the darkness. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 